podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference Plus. BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network and partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. I have learned a valuable lesson. Again, it's not the first time. Don't schedule three interviews for a week because then you end up with a monster long podcast and you don't have time for any of the notes you wrote down for your intro. And I had a ton because obviously we didn't have an episode on Monday. So I saved all this stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of lots of things that we should be talking about. A lot of the stuff I think I can save for this coming Monday, obviously this Saturday, this Sunday, the final weekend of the regular season for Big 12 men's and women's basketball. It's a huge Saturday. I know you're all going to be paying close attention. Kansas, Texas, potentially for an outright Big 12 title. At the moment, TCU is up at the half on Texas and may negate that. Texas and Oklahoma on the women's side, not decided yet. Two huge games this weekend for both Texas and Oklahoma to see if Texas can outright win the Big 12 or if they will tie for it. Softball, lots of great softball action this weekend. We posted our picks, myself, Molina, Kenzie of Tortillas and Takes, and the Sons of UCF guys. You can find those on Instagram at 1012pod, T-E-N, the number 12, P-O-D. Of course, we're on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Three great guests, as I mentioned. Ryan Chapman here to talk all things Big 12 softball. Good conversation about Oklahoma as well. Then... One of the best interviews we've ever had, a ton of fun. Connor Hitchcock, the CEO of Homefield Apparel, longest running sponsor here on the podcast. I forgot to mention it in the interview, so I'll do it here. Network 12 for 15% off your first order. He's got a ton of stuff. If you're a Big 12 fan, some sneak peeks, some hints of things coming. The interview with him will be on our YouTube channel. You're going to watch that there as well because he flashes a couple of hats. You're only going to see on our YouTube channel. You're going to want to go check that out. But he's got some teases about what is coming from Homefield in the month of March. A lot of things to be excited for. A lot of things to keep an eye on. Some great stories from him about just, it's it's a fantastic interview. I, I, I can't spoil it. I don't want to. You're going to enjoy it. Stick around for Connor. And then finally, Randy Heights of the franchise joins us. Talk some Big 12 baseball. Look at the state of affairs in the Big 12. Some surprise teams. Is Texas Tech's 9-0 start legit? Is Kansas' start legit? And the team that you really should be paying attention to, one of our more easternly programs. Randy does a fantastic job covering all things Big 12 baseball. So like I said, loaded episode, ton to get to, so no time to spend here rambling. Let's get to it. Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only Tortillas and Takes podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. 
We are three weeks into the college softball season, so it's time to do a, a deep dive into what we think about the conference right now and to do so. Very excited to have him joining us again here on the 1012. He is Ryan Chapman, uh, along with hosting a softball show. He also covers the Sooners, a program that obviously we should be talking about a lot when it comes to college softball. Ryan, welcome back, man. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. I'm just sorry that uh, nothing of note happened this past week in the world of college softball, especially concerning Big 12 teams, for us to break down. Like, If it did, no one saw it because it was on flow. Yeah, exactly. True. True. Uh, can we talk about all the like um, oh, the prominent OU alums, of which there are many, having to go on the defense for ESPN for the fact that the Marionetter Classic signed a contract with Flow Softball and that's somehow ESPN's fault and OU's fault because a tournament decided to sign a contract with uh, a service that, yes, I paid one month for just so I could watch some softball and baseball, but no one actually likes. Yeah, it... I I get it. Like, media contracts are not the sexiest thing in the world, right? So I totally understand that. Um, but this is where the my, like, minor annoyance of, like... Because it's not just the ESPN employees that get it. It's people asking me, like, I thought this ESPN Plus deal kicked in. I'm just like, guys, you have to separate pro sports and college sports. In college sports... The home contract rules all, which is why in the Big 12, we have a ton of ESPN+. Plus. Why? Because the entire league is linked up with ESPN+. Plus, and Texas is technically roped into that because Longhorn Networks and you know ESPN is on ESPN+. Plus. It's not like the Thunder, right, where every game's on Bally, home or away. If you go on the road, you have to go with the road contract. And instead of hammering flow for just holding the contract, maybe you should give Flo some credit for investing in college softball and college baseball and picking up a ton of these preseason tournaments. Now, if you want to hold them to a higher standard of maybe more than like a two-camera thing, go for it. But don't get bad at Flo. Like, if anything, you should be like, ESPN, why didn't you invest in the sport like Flo did five or six years ago to to pick up some of this stuff? Because now ESPN's playing catch-up. That's why they've made the St. Pete Clearwater Invitational into such a big event because... It's an ESPN event, and oh my gosh, all those games are streamed. So uh, it's not Flo's fault that they're not going to sell their contract out. They're the ones that had the foresight to say people care about baseball and softball, even in February. So we're going to invest in college baseball and softball. I appreciate the investment and the thought process. I don't appreciate how Flo handles its broadcasts or its costs or the quality. Uh, Yeah. 30 bucks a month is steep. They, 30 bucks they a know month it, is super steep. They know what they're doing there. They they know that no one sticks around, so got to cash in. It, it will be short-lived. But stop complaining to ESPN employees like they control. It would be, it'd be incredible if the on-air talent randomly got to do all the contracts, though. That would be a wild world we would live in across all sports. Uh, I think if fans got to actually do the contracts, we'd all be, we'd all be good. We'd all be <laughs> True. Yeah. True. Well, except now, the Pac-12. The Pac-12 doesn't get to have happiness. <laughs> Speaking of uh, the uh, the unsexiness of contracts and media contracts, um, all right, we're not here to bash on the Pac-12. Uh, many other places you can go to do that. We are here to talk Big 12 softball. As you mentioned, nothing of note this weekend except for, oh, that's right, um, the Sooners going and, and stomping previously number one UCLA uh, out at the Marinetta Classic. Um, look, he, here's the thing I've, I've thought about a lot with, with Gasso. 
partially because of the comment she's made, partially just looking at at this Oklahoma program under her. I don't. If you're a coach worth a nickel, you understand how to utilize downtimes to motivate your team and motivate your program. I don't think there's anyone in college softball who knows how to mine a loss more than Patty Gasso does for her teams. I'm not going to say she wants her teams to lose, but I don't think there's anyone who takes a loss and knows how to use that to to motivate her program and and fix the problems better than she does. Yeah, and what you've seen too is that she has set this thing up that now she doesn't even really have to do that. That was kind of the theme of last week of we all knew some of the stuff like Patty Gasso, when she talks about scheduling and putting things together, she embraces the fact she talked about it last year, two years ago, this year, um, you know, the, the last couple of years, they went on 33 game win streak to start 38 game win streak to start. And Patty Gasso's matches is always like, this isn't going to last. We're going to lose games. We should lose games. It's good for us to lose games. That's how the sport is constructed. And that's why she's always loaded up the non-conference with uh, as many big events as she can get. Uh, as many people will, will play her. And so now you hear this week, and this is something that we heard last year too, that, that Patty Gasso, when talking about the loss, she's like, yeah, I'm going to hammer all the things I usually hammer. But what you hear is the conversations from the players at practice. The players are the ones that now are like, that was not good enough. We need to lock in. Here's where we need to improve, things like that. And, and yes, Patty Gasso, JT Gasso, Jen Roach are there to identify those areas and make those improvements but but that's kind of why i think this machine keeps rolling on despite the fact that you've seen various new faces the last three or four years is is that that's what kind of the culture she has set up of it's okay to lose you don't like losing but it's only okay to lose if you take those moments figure out why you lost and improve and this team too it feels like they certainly take those things personally i mean when you look at the last two seasons, every time they lose, you look at the number of run rules like immediately after losses. And it's not just that they get better. They get better and they're like, and we're going to uh, just bury you over and over and over again. And that's what you saw this weekend. There were a ton of run rules at the very Nutter, despite the fact that on Friday and Saturday, it was less than ideal softball conditions with wet, rain, on and off, all that stuff. And then on Sunday, when the sun finally came out, Oh, you just had a little home run derby with the second best team in the country. Oh, we'll we'll see if they're second best. Yeah, look, uh, they're more uh, talented than Oklahoma State. It, it's yes. it, it's the does UCLA play up to their ceiling because th- that hasn't always been the case the last two years, especially. Uh, no, and and I think that's 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 fair. Uh, we'll talk about Oklahoma State in a minute. Um, obviously, OU run ruling in five innings, four of their five games this past weekend. The only one that they didn't run rule, they beat Utah ten to three. So it's not like it was close uh yeah it, it, every time oklahoma loses you hope you're not on their schedule the following weekend like just just pray to god you're not um i'm sure that will if you're kentucky this coming weekend coming to norman like have fun enjoy those two games there we had um chris plank on the show to preview softball and he kind of made the statement that he thought that this team for oklahoma might be better than it was last year and i think Looking at this team, there are areas where I believe that is true. I'm also curious about the loss to Baylor. It is a loss. They've bounced back. and so. But the idea that, like, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Oklahoma team. Like, there are still things about this OU team, whereas I think there is greater depth, both in the—especially on offense. But you don't have a Jocelyn Allo. 
it's, you're not, that's not someone you're just going to replace on a year in year out basis. Like that, that idea is insane. However, that doesn't mean that there isn't talent and that there isn't another Jocelyn playing for Oklahoma that at this point should scare the bejesus out of everybody. Jocelyn Erickson tied with two other players in the Big 12 leading in, in home runs right now at five. Uh, she's been incredibly impressive for OU so far. What is your thoughts as far as this Oklahoma team? Like I, I am still on the OU is going to win the national championship again bandwagon. But if you were to say they don't, what is it about this team that you believe would be the thing that gave them the hiccup that cost them a championship? Yeah, and and I a lot of the conversation too, and I'm not disagreeing with Chris Plank at all because it's a lot of the same conversation we're having. So when you look at on paper coming into the season, you bring in a Haley Lee, who's a single season home run leader from Texas A&M, Sidney Sanders, who was an all world freshman last year. 25 home runs, single season home run lead, like top to bottom, there is more on paper power. Yes. Especially when you consider Tiare Jennings through her first two years is tracking right along with what Jocelyn Allah was hitting her, her first two years. But I, I think that what you saw the first two weekends, and that was certainly not the case at the Mary Nutter is there's a, there's a psychological thing that if you've been in the stadium and watched another pitcher work when Jocelyn Allo is in the lineup, you see that pitcher get visibly a little bit more uncomfortable when Jocelyn Allo steps into the on-deck circle. And then Jocelyn Allo steps up to the batter's box, and she did her little stretch where uh, she was like throwing her hips to every single side. It was the way cooler less swaggy version of the jump on it dance essentially is what jocelyn Allo is doing before she like steps in and then she's just cool calm and collected and all best hitter in the sport absolutely but like what i've always said is her superpower is she wasn't just clutch she would absolutely bury you like if oklahoma needed a big moment from Allo, it wasn't just like an rbi double it was like no she's hitting a grand slam and you saw that UCLA saw that in the semifinal elimination game. Texas saw that in game one. Oklahoma State saw that in the regular season finale last year. Allo, what could have been her last regular season at bat, what was her last regular season at bat at Marina Hines? Pressure situation, what she do? She hit a grand slam off the Cowgirls, right? And so that was Allo's superpower. And I think there's an element to teams not being as afraid. It's like the... We don't care about the numbers. Jocelyn Allo's not in that dugout for the first time in five years. And that's something that I think pitchers can grasp onto. And so the first two weeks you saw this OU lineup, it felt like they were waiting for like, okay, so we know that Jocelyn Allo's going to step on in and bring everybody home. And then you look around and you're like, oh, no, no, they, they weren't incredibly <clears throat> Clutch, excuse me. They, they weren't awesome with runners in scoring position. A against Baylor in that loss, it took them two innings to – really string any offense together, much less put runs on the board after falling behind. And so that for me is the process they have to go through this year. They certainly looked very clutch against UCLA, right? 10, uh, their first 10 hits came with two outs. That entire six run barrage in the second inning came with two outs. So I'm not going to say one game is enough for me to say, ah, they've turned the corner and all that. But for me, that's what I'm looking at on the hitting side of things. Then you flip it over Okay, Jordy Ball is going through, by her standards, what would be a sophomore slump. Um, she's still been good, but her her whip, her, her walks, hits, innings pitch is much higher than it was last year. Plenty of time to work that out, obviously. But that would be the other thing is if, if Jordy, whether it's a mental thing with the forearm, which I, we've been told over and over again, it's not that. And so is it 
the pressure of being a sophomore pitcher that's been scouted by every pitching staff in the country, right? Like there's three of those pitchers, Faramo, Maxwell, and Ball, that every hitting coach spent hours and hours and hours this summer trying to break down. Is that what holds her back a little bit, that that kind of adjustment? And that's something that Patty Gasso talked about last week, actually. Like Jocelyn Allo famously had a horrible start to her sophomore season, she had to take uh, like a week away from the team, go on a cruise, like totally reset her her mindset. Then she came back in and was awesome. So d- does Jordy Ball, how is she able to work through that? Because that was the thing last year. Oklahoma mowed through the Women's College World Series and Jordy Ball was not Jordy Ball. She only pitched a, two times and she was clearly not herself. So the Sooners can do that. Alex Storacco, what she did against UCLA is massive as far as replacing what Hope Troutwine did and all that. Nicole May has been nails to start the year, but not having Jordy is another one of those mental things. If she's not the Jordy of last year, teams might also think, Hey, maybe they're a little bit gettable because Jordy ball was unhittable at times last year. Yeah. Um, FIP, which is a stat that I've, I've learned about this season and I'm really enjoying you look at, at Jordy ball. FIP, by the way, for those who don't know, is basically pitching minus fielding. So it is purely just uh, an averaging out of the, the stats that are purely pitching specific. Um, it's a better, it's kind of like ERA, but I think it's a bit better than ERA because it takes all the defense out of it. Jordy ball right now, kind of down the list in the big 12 with a 3.33 FIP. Luckily, though, you've got Nicole May, who leads the Big 12 with a 0.28. Like, Alex Storacco, who's second, with a 1.03. This is, OU's got two other players who have stepped up as Nicole, as Jordy Ball is continuing to kind of go through this weird slump. Um, But it does feel like this is a year where Ball is expected to be the workhorse, the leader for this Oklahoma team. And so it'll be interesting to see if she can kind of get things turned around or if this is just going to be a full year issue for her because I do think that's going to matter as you get into the postseason when you're dealing with the quality of teams that you're going to be facing on a regular basis. Uh, let's look at uh, let's look at Oklahoma State as we we have mentioned them uh, currently ranked number three in the country. Um, one loss, looking very good. We had a very impressive weekend. The previous weekend, uh, we saw a weird performance from Kelly Maxwell uh, at UTEP on Sunday. But as I've, I've have talked about, uh, weird astroturf field combined with 60-plus mile-per-hour winds and just an odd day gave her a weird Sunday, which I don't care who you are, you're going to have an off day now or then, even if you're Kelly Maxwell. Um, the biggest thing for OSU to me this season is last year, offensively, this team saw a weird year. Like they have been so good in 2021, 2022. You see this offensive dip. They can't hit home runs to save their lives. That their runners in scoring position left on base was was high. The opening weekend for OSU, I thought we saw the offensive concerns again. They couldn't seem to get the runs you'd expect. And then they went to Clearwater, and the last two weekends they have just been hitting home runs like crazy. Uh, Kylie ne- Naomi looks like Kylie Naomi again, and you've got some some other players who've come in who have really been impressive. Obviously, on paper, Oklahoma is the more talented team than Oklahoma State. There's no argument there. But does it feel to you like OSU has maybe closed the gap on Oklahoma a bit this season compared to years past? Uh, not really, frankly. Um, Oklahoma historically has hit Kelly Maxwell pretty well. Um, she she popped up and had really, really nice moments, and usually it's for four or five innings. And, and the one time it hasn't really held on all the way through, Oklahoma State wins the Big 12 tournament, right? And, and so... Uh, I've been really pleased, though. I think that this is going to be a process that right now, I think the gap's about where it was last year, which is there is a gap and it's not a massive gap. Um, 
for, for over last year. I think that's more of a credit to I don't think Oklahoma State was given enough credit last year for what Miranda Ellish was going through in the early part of the season as far as just coming back to softball and then what ended up happening where it flipped and now she's injured and Kelly Maxwell it's like you have to be the the horse to take them all the way through what I'm very excited about though is the progress you mentioned with the offense because I think this is going to grow and grow and grow throughout the year uh Wendy Clower kind of getting elevated to that hitting coach responsibility after coming from the film room what, what would be the film room if we were if we were talking nba franchises uh the eric spolstra yeah i well, not ready to call her eric spolstra yet we'll have to see in uh 10 years if she's leading lebron and the heat to a championship but you, you heard that a lot on the broadcast at st pete clearwater and it's just not something i had heard out of oklahoma state hitters the last couple of years which is we walk into at bats looking for this pitch we are sitting on this we're not going to chase out of the zone We'll battle if we're not getting what we want, but it's in the zone, but you're sitting on this. And and that's what you hear, I think, from a lot of the top offenses is, is not just a we've scouted the pitcher, but like, here's our plan in the first little bit. Then when they make the adjustment, we want to adjust to the adjustment. And that's, that's what I've started to hear out of the Oklahoma State hitters. And that's what has me really juiced, along with the fact that. You mentioned Naomi, Factor, uh, all those coming in. And like I think the power will be there. But Taylor Edwards coming in, someone that should be still just enjoying life in high school, kind of a, a football thing that we hear about the early enrollees. She comes over from Southmore, and she's stepped in and just been absolute money. And I think she's just scratching the surface of what she can be. I'm really optimistic that by the time that Bedlam rolls around, uh, I think this will be probably a, a top two matchup. I just think that, and, and like Kenny Gajewski teams get better and better and better as the year goes on. That's been a constant always with what his teams have done. So right now the snapshot of things, uh, yeah, I still think there's a gap. And like, I think there'll be a gap there at the end of the year that that's just how good Oklahoma's been. Like some of the stuff they do just warps how you, how you look at the sport, frankly. But uh, I've been really optimistic with the early going. I don't think they're there yet, but that's like a, you can already see the progress, and, and I am by no means expecting this to be a stagnant thing as the year progresses in Stillwater. Uh, yeah, Rachel Becker, who transferred over from Purdue, if I recall correctly, uh, leading the Big 12 currently in batting average uh, for Oklahoma State. Uh, Katie Lott, another freshman, uh, leading the Big 12 in on-base percentage uh, and on-base plus slugging percentage, OPS. Like The offense last year for OSU was just frustrating. Uh, and luckily they had the pitching and the defense uh, to, to help deal with that. That doesn't seem to be the issue this year, so I'll be very excited to see how that continues for OSU. Let's talk about the surprise team so far, uh, and the, the one team that has beaten Oklahoma thus far. That is the Baylor Bears. I mean, we had head coach Moore on the podcast to, to start the season. Uh, we had uh, Shaylin Gavon on the show last week. This team was young last year, and it's still a young roster, but I mean, the how much this team seems to have grown up from last year this year is incredible. Um, the hitting is there. Govan is arguably one of the best hitters in the Big 12 thus far after transferring in. Uh, Darian Orme um, and uh, Aliyah Banford have been fantastic on the mound. Like this, this Baylor team is like this is. It's not just they got a win over over Oklahoma, um, beating Maryland, beating Minnesota, continuing to only have the one loss to Arkansas earlier in the year. Like I think this is a legitimate Baylor team and one that. This isn't going to be like, cool, we've got a fourth team that's good in the Big 12. Like, this is a team that should, at, at worst, challenge for third over Texas, if not second. Yeah, and what I really like, you look at Benford last year, she led the team with five home runs. You know, 
uh, Gavon's already come in and hit five home runs. And for me, when you when you look at what they what Baylor did, it was usually the, whether it was where they should have beat Oklahoma and Norman in Game Three if it weren't for a fielding error and in foul territory in right field that gave. Oklahoma some new life to allow Terry Jennings to walk that thing off. Like they should have done exactly what they did at the Getterman Classic to Oklahoma at Marina Hines last year. Teams don't just walk into Marina Hines and do that. And that Baylor team did. Uh, you look at what they did throughout the last year, and it felt like there was always one game against OSU, Texas at least, where you're like, man, they're really in this thing. And, and what they were missing to kind of juice that upset potential was the feeling that one swing of the bat could change the game, that that wasn't the case for them last year. They had to string together three, four, five hits, and that just doesn't happen against your Maxwells, your Dulcini's, Ball, all of that. This year, that's a lot different, and I'm hoping that that can kind of bring a little juice. But then what I'm looking at is Orm. Like, what she's come in and done, if you saw, she was the one that almost stumped Oklahoma last year in Norman. And talking to Nicole Mendez, who played at OU and, and who I do the road to OKC with, she said that basically what the, the scouting report on that was that she had been working on implementing a new off-speed pitch all year long. And when it came to Sunday and Norman, the coaching staff just said, screw it, let's see what it looks like. And it had the Oklahoma batters fooled, scratching their heads, trying to figure out what was happening for a majority of that game. And then it didn't translate the rest of the year. It's not like that was her turning point and then she really kicked it into another gear. She kind of receded back to what she had been the rest of the year, and, and that led to unsteady performances and a ton of hits. This offseason, she's come back. She already has a perfect game. What she did to Oklahoma on a pitch count, right, in that upset victory, then coming back and throwing the no-no against, uh, was that Maryland? Like, you're seeing that she has taken that and taken that step forward this offseason, and that, too, giving Baylor a legitimate ace. You marry that with the home run potential in a team that, like you said, last year they were super young, but in college athletics today, being super young doesn't always mean anything because that just means that you're ripe to get rated in the transfer portal. You look at what they did last year, all nine of their batters that registered at least two plate attempts and played in 75% of their games, all nine of them were back this year so it wasn't just they're a young team young team with incredible retention then you bring in a govan right an experienced leader albeit from Stephen f awesome but she stepped in and obviously made a huge difference like that's the recipe for making a huge jump forward and yeah i, I mean based off of three weekends i would i would pick baylor to finish ahead of texas just as texas is breaking in a, a couple of young pitchers uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, we've we've said fip fip uh it stands for fielding independent pitching it's like ERA, but it focuses solely on the events a pitcher has the most control over strikeouts, unintentional walks, hit by pitches, home runs. Uh, at this point, she's third in the Big 12 in FIP with 1.27, or uh, May is. As for Govan, I mean, yeah, she's tied with Jocelyn Erickson and Kylie Naomi with five home runs so far this season to lead the Big 12. And she's number one in the Big 12 in RBI with 29. Next closest is Jocelyn Erickson at 21. Like, she has been huge she was huge for them again this past weekend um the baylor's got themselves a we need someone to come in and make a play she's the one that had the three-run home run to give baylor the four uh the, the lead against oklahoma two weekends ago uh part of why we had her on the show like i agree at this point i'm baylor's ranked ahead of texas baylor's got a better record than texas Texas will get better. We saw that last year. They continued to improve as the season went on. Obviously, they made the run all the way to the finals of the Women's College World Series, despite not hosting the regionals and supers. 
But if you ask me right now, like Baylor's, I have Baylor third. Um, I think they have been really good. I think they've got the offense. I think the pitching has been really good. I think they've got two arms that you can rely on. I, I, at this point, this is a better team than Texas. Texas, meanwhile, yeah, they've, they're replacing quite a bit from last year. Part of the problem for me with Texas is, yes, they went one and one against Virginia Tech this past weekend in Austin. Um, what the, the loss was you, you blew a big lead late in the game and Virginia Tech was able to come back and get the win. That 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 looks good. I'm having trouble with Texas because the the biggest challenges they faced were in the opening weekend, and it's hard to form a full opinion on a program in weekend one because it's the first week of the season. You don't know what's going on. Um, outside of the two games against Virginia Tech, Texas hasn't faced anybody of note um, these last two weekends. And like, don't leave Austin. They just and that's fine. I'm just I'm having a hard time gauging how good this Texas program is. And I am i don't feel like we're going to know for a little while. They've got a game against uh, North Texas. They've got a game against Louisiana. Those are both nice. Um, I, I forget how we refer to non-power conference programs. I don't think it works in softball. I know it's mid-major, but I'm having a hard time with Texas right now to figure out if this is, who are who is this Texas team? I, I just, I don't, I haven't bought in yet, despite the two games against Virginia Tech and the performances they had this weekend. Yeah, I think they're still getting a lot of respect from what they did last year in the postseason. And you just got players in different roles. Like Mia Scott is unbelievable. I think she'll get there. But it's one of those things where we talk about a ton what these players are on the field. I think it's really hard to – and I don't want any – like you're, you're selling Mary Iacopo short if you don't talk about what she was behind the scenes for that Texas team, mm-hmm. what she was as a leader. Same with Janae Jefferson – um, Haley Dulcini as well, kind of coming in. I just, I think it's almost disrespectful to how good they were last season, not to bring that up. And like, it's not a knock on anyone on the current roster. It's just, they were that good. And that core leadership was, was so good for Texas that I, I think they're going through some stuff this year just to kind of figure that out. Cause I mean, you've got a couple of really talented young pitchers, obviously um, bringing in Matt Morgan from Arizona State. Everybody rated Arizona State as that coaching change uh, happened, it seems, in the Big 12. But she's going to get it going. Gutierrez, love what I've seen from her early on. And so, yeah, that's just going to take Mike White working with those pitchers just a little bit longer. It's a redshirt, or, sorry, not a redshirt freshman, a sophomore that's transferred their first year in the program and then a true freshman uh, in those two. Like I think it'll come along. The question is just... Okay, how how quickly is that going to come along? Do do they start to really turn that thing up by the middle of Big Twelve play? Because to stay in this race to be second, third, um, but it's really third or fourth this year with Baylor and Texas. Like you you have to sweep through your Texas Techs, your Kansases, your Iowa States, so that you can make up your ground when you play Baylor. So Texas can try to steal one off Oklahoma, steal one off Oklahoma State. Like that's where your money is made in this big 12 conference last year. We saw a young Baylor team. Where did they really struggle in those other series where you needed to sweep against anyone not named Oklahoma, Oklahoma state or Texas that didn't happen. And so that'll be the question is can Texas with their just talent level still be good enough to, to be perfect against those teams so they can try and show that growth in the big marquee series this year. And then it's Baylor taking enough steps forward to then not have those struggles against the the, the non-top of the conference because that's what's going to be the difference, especially with Baylor and Texas. Yeah, I've been really impressed with Gutierrez and what she's done on the mountain so far. And then uh, Leanne Good has been 
very impressive at bat for Texas so far. There is talent. There's young talent on that roster, but you're, you're right on what they lost from last year. It It's like losing Aleph for Oklahoma. Like, yeah, you're going to load up a talent. That's fine. But it's, it's not it's not the same thing. It's just not. Um, that, 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 that takes time to develop and get to that point if it reaches that level. Yeah, and that's something that even, not even like the Jocelyn Allo conversation, but someone that maybe outside of Norman, people are going to talk a whole lot, but like Oklahoma lost Lindsey Elam as well. The, the everyday catcher while Kinsey Hanson was kind of banged up. And, and she's someone that Patty Gasso would wax what about like, I've had a ton of great leaders. Lindsey Elam's the best captain I have ever had ever. And so when, when Patty Gasso, who has got now six rings is sitting here telling you like that stuff matters. And in these big moments having that voice who can step in and command the huddle where I don't have to say anything I think that just shows you it's something that Oklahoma State's done a really good job it it feels like as they've taken these steps forward last year between Pennington and Alexander and what Elish brought even when she was her and now what Maxwell and Factor and Naomi are like you see that there's that core group of leaders that continue to that can continue to step up and set the standard for those programs. I just think that that's the the transition piece that Texas is kind of missing right now. And, and that'll only come through playing a bunch of youngsters and, and having some of these battles early on in the season where you go, that, that's where you wish that they had loaded up on a, a heftier non-conference and said, look, it's okay. If you lose some of these games early on, you're going to come back. The RPI is going to be a lot better in the big 12 this year with Baylor. Like that's where you almost wanted those moments because taking those losses early, like like we talked about earlier, isn't a bad thing if that's what gets the freshmen and, and sophomores up to speed a lot faster. You mentioned the RPI. I, I, I think Baylor obviously is going to vastly improve the RPI in the Big 12. I've been surprised so far with Texas Tech. I, I, Iowa State's having a down year. Um, I, I, they are by far the worst team in the Big 12 this year. I don't think it's close. Um, Kansas, 10 and 5 starts the season. They haven't challenged themselves all that much. So we'll kind of see what that start means. But Texas Tech is an interesting program. You've got a first year head coach who I think has, I think this program has performed better than I expected in year one. You've got Sage Hoover, who's been a good pitcher for them so far to start the year. You've got a team that, <laughs> okay, the hitting stats for Texas Tech are, are cracking me up. Um, I want to pull this up from Big 12 real quick. Okay, so from a batting standpoint, Texas Tech is fourth in the Big 12 in RBIs at 101, just behind Texas at 107, right? Um, Very good. They're hitting the ball really well. They also lead the Big 12 in strikeouts. They have 100. The next closest is Iowa State at 69. Uh, No one has has played more innings than Texas Tech at 110. Next closest is 94. Kansas and Baylor have both uh, have 94 innings pitched. Texas Tech has 110. This is a a team with some really high points <laughs> and some really low points that feels like, I don't know if this team's going to be good enough to make it to a postseason, but this does feel like a team that they're going to... There's always like... An, OSU always loses like one game to one of the bottom tier teams like randomly. Texas got blown out by Baylor in a game last year. Like Texas Tech feels like a team that's going to come in and just do enough damage to kind of irritate everyone. I don't like, they're going to probably finish fifth, which is fine. But this is a weird wild card kind of team in Texas Tech. Yeah. And 
you mentioned some of the you see there are improvements in some spots. It feels very 2012 Braves of we're just going to hit all the home runs and strike out a lot. And there's no in between, which leads to a lot of variance, which is why I think you've seen them also drop a couple of games that you're like, what are you doing with UT Arlington? Stop this. Quit. <laughs> Stop doing that. But I, I think that for tech, here's just what the Big 12 needs. And this is what they need especially as Oklahoma and Texas move out here in a couple of years, UCF comes in. Um, they just need them to stabilize and like tech you're better than Kansas and Iowa state. Do not mess around in those series with Kansas and Iowa state. And I think that'll do wonders for kind of helping that middle tier of, of the RPI. Cause in year one, like I don't have major expectations for Texas tech. I haven't been overly impressed with how they've closed out some of these games. Cause I too, I don't feel like they've tested themselves either either. And I mean, dropping five games against a lot of these teams, I'm not really, you know, stoked about that. But I also think, like, there are clear improvements, and gone are the days of expecting uh, 10 and 11 run innings when Oklahoma and Oklahoma State play Texas Tech in kind of those blowouts. Yeah, you might you might get one against them. But, I, look, again, Texas Tech, like, you went out to, to uh, Palm Springs, lose to UC Riverside eight innings, it's just it's a very hit and miss team, and so I, I'm intrigued to keep an eye on Texas Tech. But again, I understand not challenging yourself, and as a first year head coach trying to rebuild a program, like you don't necessarily need to challenge yourself in year well, one, especially with what you're going to play in the big. Like if you want to <sighs> have a shot to make some postseason, like you don't need to you don't need to be challenging yourself in year. Just let it happen. Get reset the culture. Get everyone acclimated to what you want to do. Then start building. I am really intrigued by the big like I'm, I'm intrigued by the Big Twelve in softball period. But you know, next year you're going to add UCF, who's having a bit of a hiccup season after their historic year in 2021, not or 2022, not a big shock. Obviously, they lost quite a bit. Uh, BYU, who had a rough weekend, but I still think is an intriguing softball program. Houston's kind of up and down. I don't know what's good. Like they were they were rocking and rolling, and then COVID hit, and they have not been the same ever since. Um, but you do add three interesting programs. I, I, I'm pumped for UCF. Like I, I, I know it's a dip right now, but I think that's a program that that is Cindy Ball Malone is really building up there in Orlando. Uh, I'm I'm just intrigued. Your thoughts? We're only going to get one year of overlap. We know that the 2020 uh, 2023 2024 athletic season in the Big Twelve is going to be the weirdest, wackiest, wildest thing of all time. I, I'm intrigued. Your thoughts on the three programs coming in and kind of how how they'll impact the Big Twelve moving forward. Yeah, I really like UCF and Houston. And even though Houston, like you mentioned, exactly right, hasn't been the same pre-COVID, just because you're going to give the Big 12 some stability that I don't think it's had since, like, before everything busted up and when you had Missouri and Baylor, who you knew were just going to be a pain in the butt every time they came in, uh, fighters, things like that. Like, I, I think that the Big 12 has been lacking that since, since that because – Texas has been on this up and down roller coaster. Oklahoma State has steadily, steadily improved, and now they've arrived under Kenny Gajewski, but they, they were kind of up and down before then. Um, I'm just really excited to have some consistency because that means the product for Oklahoma State is still going to be really, really nice as far as they're not going to have to do what, like, like the reason Patty Gasso started, frankly, 
this murderer's row non-conference slate is because before Gajewski arrived at OSU and when Texas was kind of in the wilderness for a few years there, the Big 12 was so bad that OU rolling through the conference didn't matter and they would get dinged in RPI and still be uh, like not outside the top 20 or anything like that, but they, they could rack up gaudy win totals and still not be in the top five in the RPI. So I think that that's going to help Oklahoma State not have that. But what I'm really going to miss next year is you're going to lose the bye week in conference because of just kind of the number of teams, which is going to make it a lot harder for like the Florida State series that we've seen the last two years with Oklahoma State and what they've been able to do. Like we're going to miss that next year, which will be a little bit of a bummer, but I think bringing Houston in, bringing BYU and UCF in is going to be worth it. Uh, and especially in the long haul, like they're, they're going to be great additions softball wise. Yeah, it it does feel like. The bottom's been bad. The middle's been weak. And then, and since Gajewski got, got Oklahoma State going and Mike White showed up to Texas, like it's been a – the three have just been so dominant. You look at last year and really the year before, like, yes, two years ago, Baylor and Iowa State made the postseason. They did a, they had a nice job. But like you – well, after Oklahoma and Texas leave, you're going to have an eight-team conference. And it does feel like Oklahoma has been awesome. There is something to having a program that is so stupid good that it not only dominates college softball period, but it dominates your conference at such a level that it's so hard to get wins. You don't ever get to beat them, so you're not boosting your RPI from a win standpoint. So you just mark three losses on your on your schedule there. Like I, I and I'm I'm not like it just is what it is. Like I do think there's an opportunity there for the Big Twelve to have a better postseason presence because you don't have one program. Not that Oklahoma State's going to suddenly not be really good. Just utterly dominating the conference in such a way. Yeah, I mean, I still I think, frankly, that you can just sub Oklahoma State in for Oklahoma as long as Kinnegaeski's there. I think they're going to roll through the Big 12. It's going to be kind of a, uh, not a funeral procession for those in Stillwater, but everyone else in the Big 12, I think they're going to be like, if we can still one off Oklahoma State, like the season's worthwhile and that'll take you into postseason. But I just think, like even given that the level of competition week in week out is going to be so much more consistent at a higher level that it's going to make Oklahoma State better because they're going to have to be on it every weekend. That like there, there's not going to be Iowa State rolling in and that's half of your conference slate basically. And so I think that's what's really exciting. And yeah, like there's still going to be plenty of Big Twelves in the postseason, Big Twelve teams in the postseason. Excuse me. It was interesting to see. Um, like, can they still rack up a ton of host sites for Super Regional Weekend? Or is it kind of one of those things where you Stillwater's going to host a regional and a Super Regional, and you're hoping that Baylor and UCF can kind of throw their weight around it and at least host regional play, and that way they've got you know a little number going by their name heading into Weekend 2 into Super Regionals? Yeah, definitely would like to see the Big 12 get to a point where – and it, I mean – the Big 12 should be good enough where we can get three hosts, at least for regional action. Maybe not three for Supers. I understand that. The SEC, the ACC, I, I get all of that Pac-12. Um, the Big 12 should be good enough, especially next year. And moving forward with the eight teams and the programs that you're going to add, especially with UCF, to get three regional hosts on a, on a year and year in basis. And I know we said this wasn't the poop on the Pac-12 podcast, but I mean, adding Arizona and Arizona State eventually, it's not going to hurt that one bit. <laughs> nope. It's, <laughs> again, everyone's like, I don't care about... You that hot on color, just get the two Arizonas because the benefits for your Olympic sports, especially Baylor, uh, baseball and softball, hee <laughs> hee. Exactly. <laughs> and like, well, and Utah, like, they're not a, 
hey, this team's going to bounce around in the rankings, but they're also a frisky team as far as if that's your middle to bottom in the Pac-12 and that comes over into the Big 12, if they keep that coaching staff intact, uh, that's going to be another one of those teams that you're just like, hey, everyone in the Big 12 knows when Utah comes to town, like you better be on it for three games or you're going to drop something. Yep. Ryan, I appreciate it as always. My friend, plug away everything you got going, which is a lot. Oh, it goodness. Um, Just... <laughs> underscore Ryan Chapman on Twitter. That's the easiest way to follow it. I obviously cover everything OU over at All Sooners. That's one of the gigs. Um, if you're in the Oklahoma City area on three to six every day on the franchise, uh, that's 1077. But the biggest thing, you can download the franchise app because Wednesday nights, 8 to 9 p.m., the road to OKC, me and generally Nicole Mendez, who I was a two-time national champion at Oklahoma, Olympian, all that stuff. Is it Oklahoma-centric? Yes, of course. That's what pays the bills. But we really strive to at least make, uh, like, our last segment is always, like, we're taking a step back. We don't look at everything across the country. We've got, um, for your cowgirl softball fans, I think Chelsea Alexander is going to hop on and join us, previewing some of the bigger series. There's a big one with the Seminoles going to be coming up here for the cowgirls. So we do everything we can to cover the sport as a whole, because, like, if if you were complaining about Flow Softball's coverage, the one thing you weren't complaining about was the color commentary from Mindy. She was on that. Um, everything else out of her hands, but she at least held that thing down. So a uh, ton of fun all over the all over the place. Like I said, just underscore Ryan Chapman. It's the easiest place to follow. Just whatever. I'm all over the place. Franchise adding a uh, Cowgirl Softball podcast as well with Chelsea Alexander, yes. one of the co-hosts. Uh, that that is out now. We will be uh, we'll be getting them on the show. Uh, Ryan, I'll, we'll talk off air, but I need Nicole to come on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I I can put you guys in touch. Here, here's the issue. Uh, as busy as I am, I like having a ton of jobs. Nicole takes that to like on steroids. So, <laughs> Ryan, appreciate it as always. We'll get you back on again soon, man. Absolutely. We'll see you guys. Do you love the Big Twelve Conference? Do you love college basketball? Well, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do. So come on over to the Midwest Madness podcast, powered by the 1012 Network, where I, Robbie Triano of SiriusXM, talk all things men's basketball in the Big 12 Conference. Whether it's breaking down the biggest games, interviews with some of the best people covering the league, or discussing which teams will make the big dance, make the Midwest Madness podcast your bi-weekly listen. Because the best way to prepare for March Madness is to listen to the Midwest Madness. They're the longest running sponsor here on the 1012 podcast and of the 1012 network as a whole. And from time to time, we like to get them on the show. It's been way too long since our good friend Connor Hitchcock has been here on the 1012. Connor, welcome back, sir. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Philip. Always, uh, well, one, just love what you guys do. And two, always fun to be back. It, uh, it's been too long. I think it's been two years. I don't know how that's happened. Like, I feel like it's, well, we, we don't want to get them on too often. I don't want to bother Connor because I know they're crazy busy over there in Indianapolis uh, <clears throat> with the everything that's going on. But it's been it's been too long, my friend. Yes. Yeah. Glad to be doing this. Uh, a lot has changed in the last two years. I mean, let, let's start with, with what's going on with home field right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Big New Saturday was kind of the thing that helped build this brand at, at, at home field that's the thing that people got excited for they really you, schools are coming out it was a huge thing during football season you did it during march madness last year during basketball sorry uh third month mayhem pardon me mm-hmm. there we go ncaa cbs don't come after me <clears throat> um 
But you guys have, have brought that to an end, and the shift now has been these limited runs, which I think have been really exciting. We've seen what has come out for Kansas and Iowa State among Big 12 schools, and the other schools that have come out as well. I know we've got USC and UCLA, uh, much to the Pac-10 fans chagrin this week, as well as <laughs> Missouri and Colorado last week. What went into the mindset of, of bringing Big New Saturday to an end and then kind of this new way of going about things now with these limited releases? Yeah, no, absolutely. So for those who don't know, Big New Saturday was a launch strategy for Homefield. Um, we would, a school that we didn't have, we weren't licensed yet for, when uh, we get their license, it'd typically be a power five school or a bigger um, group of five school. We would launch a new school um, every Saturday at noon Eastern. And it'd be a really fun party online all week, basically, where we'd announce, hey, we're about to launch um, TCU. And then all of a sudden, for a week, which is a bunch of TCU jokes on the timeline, interacting with TCU fan base, leaving people to kind of guess what mascots would be involved, um, digging up just fun old photos, you know, maybe the Horned Frog in the 50s where it looked a little different. <laughs> And then, yeah, Saturday at noon Eastern, we launched a collection and it'd be a blast. And so we did that so many times. And I think the final count was we did Big New Saturday 60 times. Um, and it was great. And we debuted a ton of schools. Part of it is that we have very few Power 5 schools left to debut. Um, and not necessarily that the school has to be a Power 5 for Big New Saturday, but um, the way it was set up, you know, we we had realized that Big New Saturday was, had run its course and a lot of effort goes into a big new Saturday is be about 15 or 16 uh, pieces per collection, which is a ton of work. You know, you see it show up on your computer screen on Twitter on a Saturday morning and it's just all right there. But every piece of apparel takes so much time and energy that only multiplies as we get bigger. And so that was one piece, you know, we felt kind of BNS had run us courts. And then also, you know, because of that time commitment for these massive collections, when we first debuted them, there, um, you know, schools we'd had on the website for a couple of years, like in Iowa State, um, who had been on, who's been on home field since 2019, wasn't getting as much attention and love. And so our pivot this year to many more schools getting um, refresh collections, about eight piece collections, their limited run drops um, available for four or five days at a time. Uh, but positioning there allows us to do more schools. So, you know, we've hired up on our design team and marketing team to be able to scale and meet that demand. So that hopefully, you know, I think we charted like 90% of our sales or like our customers will get a refresh this year for a team they cheer for, which is, you know, the goal is that we're always providing something, something new um, for our people. Uh, you know, it's in our minds, we think, wow, we launched, 15 pieces for you guys like a year ago. That's a lot. But in your mind, you're thinking, that's great. I bought all I wanted to buy. I haven't had anything new to buy in a year. Like, come on. So, you know, we we get that tension. So that's why we moved to this model now um, where we're able to update the collections more for the majority of our fan bases. And we're still adding new schools. I mean, if your school isn't on the website, I promise you we're still working very hard or have it on the calendar already. So um, it's just all this takes a lot of time because what we do is, you know, our core word is thoughtful in the design and how we make things. And we're not just going to throw something on a t-shirt just to make a few extra bucks. So yeah, that's my long winded answer as to why we, why we transition. I mean, thoughtful makes sense. There's 
you guys put out some incredible stuff and and you can tell the attention and time and research that goes into each collection i mean you you mentioned tcu i i have two tcu shirts and one of them is of course a horned frog in a in a pimp coat waving a pennant which is always a popular design of any Mm -hmm. mascot um like there is some really old school stuff in there and you could say that for any school you guys are launching there is a deep dive like i i know that there were you I know fans on occasion like reach out to you guys and like, hey, if you ever launch or hey, if you're going to add this and we'll send you guys things that they think would look really cool. And I see stuff get tagged with, hey, Homefield, you should put this on a shirt. <clears throat> occasionally do it uh, all the time. So I mean, like, it's super cool, not just that you guys do such a great job, but you have that level of engagement of fans who are like, we would love to see this. And we can't wait to see this. And we can't wait to see what's next. Like, it's insane. You guys are called the good brand for a reason. No, I, I appreciate that. It's a lot of fun um, to be able to interact with customers like that, right? I mean, part of the refresh collection this year, you know, we added new product types. We added a fleece quarter zip. We added a ringer. We added joggers. We added kids tees um, and a few other collections um, or a few other items. And that's because we took a survey last year, late Q1, early Q2, can't remember, Exactly. Send it up to our top 5% of customers, people who bought the most and said, what do you want next? And then we went in order of what people want next. It's pretty easy. <laughs> if you ask people what they want and then provide what they want, turns out they'll buy it. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> we, we love, we love interacting with people in that way. Right. And we don't always want to presume like, oh, we know exactly um, what people want at the same time. You know, we have a brand of craft, right. If uh, we had only, offered things that had previously been offered uh, that people were asking for and we wouldn't exist uh, as a brand. Um, so we have to find a way to craft our own brand and story while also, you know, understanding what's out there um, and uh, in terms of what people want. Right. So we love all the suggestions um, because at the same time, you know, there's only gonna be so many, you know, as much research as we can do a Marshall fan reaching out to us and saying on the, in our DMS, we like, Hey, found this in my grandma's attic, you know, from the seventies, there's only so much we can, we can do on the internet. Whereas, you know, if we can see the way some that folks even wore a t-shirt back then, right. Like uh, the way a logo was incorporated. It's one thing to see a logo. It's another thing to see the correct context of it. Um, so, you know, I, I'll see for, for myself as an Indiana fan, I've seen brands that just grab logos off of the Indiana vintage art sheet and they'll put the oval logo on something and then they'll try to sell it for basketball, not understanding that the oval was a football only mark, right? Like stuff like that upsets me and I'm a diehard fan. So I imagine that experience is multiplied to 150 fan bases we do service. So that's why we have to listen, right? We have to make sure we're thoughtful with it. Yeah. That stuff matters a lot. Yeah. Um, Okay, I've I've always been curious. You know, we all know the Marquee Power Five brands. You guys, when you were mm-hmm. doing Big News Saturday, would run the contest to see who could sell the most on that mm-hmm. first Saturday. And you know, West Virginia killed it. Kansas State was insane. They did so well. Yeah. Um, but a lot of home field people, and I know a lot of the national people, um, talk often about you know our split zone duo, Matt Brown, the people who mm-hmm. also talk about home field whether they paid to or not. Uh, have shirts for many schools. I've got quite a few Big Twelve. I've got a. a uh oh i've got the rock in the pen coat with slippery the, rock slippery rock gosh thank you yeah like i've got a few things as well what is the what's the one brand you think has been bought by the most non-fans of that school slippery rock for sure i mean the name alone slippery rock um 
we <laughs> we were pretty strategic with getting license for slippery rock um we wanted to show michigan that we could sell t-shirts and beyond loving slippery rock at every michigan home football game um they announced the slippery rock score and it's a tradition going back decades um and i forget the exact reason as the origination uh krista my co-founder and wife who uh grew up in a huge michigan household with her dad playing there she knows but um you know so that was a fun one to do uc irvine uh, is a really popular one for people who didn't attend uh there's a shirt where there's an anteater surfing uh it's a surf up uc irvine um robin lopez uh, or sorry, Brooke Lopez of the NBA is obsessed with that shirt. He bought like 10 of them one time. He just keeps <laughs> buying that shirt. It's very funny. Um, trying to see what other schools. When Loyola makes their tournament runs, we tend to get a good amount of those because we have a car- very cartoon looking wolf. Um, trying to think beyond. You see Irvine Slippery Rock. Oh, man. Um, I think Providence is about to be one with the, really? with the Friar playing basketball. Oh, yeah. um, so that, we just dropped them last week. Uh, SLU, St. Louis, with the Billiken. There's a ton of non, what I presume are non-grads based on, you know, they have an ardent fan base, but uh, the Billiken's wild. <laughs> St. Peter's was huge. Our top two. So we dropped St. Peter's last year during the tournament um, after they won the round of 32. Um, and then we had a second life with it when they beat Purdue. In the top two states for that bought St. Peter's gear, based in New Jersey, were Indiana and Kentucky because that was a ton of spite buying by the Louisville and <laughs> Indiana fans because they beat Kentucky and Purdue. That was very funny. So, yeah, St. Peter's is for sure up there. Oh, and, yeah, Youngstown State, fans, you know those fun fans ones. Fans are awesome. Fans yeah. are just so College good. fans are the best. <laughs> Next, next poll you're gonna send out is how many of you have spite bought a shirt for after a team beat your opponent just for fun? Oh That's yeah, incredible. I was in a bar. I was in a bar in Indianapolis where I live, and uh, being an Indiana grad, I wasn't like hate watching Purdue. I don't hate watch Purdue, but I mean, if they lose, I think it is pretty funny uh, at times. If I'm being honest, as an Indiana grad, uh, in that fashion, and I just remember I was in a bar with all Purdue people. I didn't think there was a chance in hell that Purdue, that St. Peter's is going to pull it off. So then I'm like on my phone in the corner on the home field account, like tweeting out like these St. Peter's links and everything's blowing up. I'm just around the saddest people in the world in this bar. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I had a I had another moment like that this year when uh, well sometimes when there's a big upset we'll also launch a shirt uh, in football, and so we. Um, I had a friend offer me some tickets. I'm not a fan, but I just wanted to go to a Notre Dame home game this year. And it was the Marshall game. And so I had to launch from my phone. Like Chris and I were taking turns going to get better service when it was evident Marshall was going to win, setting up a product on our phones. And then we launched it in the concourse of Notre Dame Stadium as like time expired. Um, it was it was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome okay yeah. um obviously the st peter's one last year was so cool you guys got that turned around in like 24 hours after yeah. that first upset came off um and that was incredible um so we're getting close it's it's almost march uh when this goes up it, mm-hmm. it'll be, i think it's march 1st um 
what are you guys playing for? You know, you guys called it third month madness that last year. That's what mm-hmm. we, we correct the joke. What, what's kind of the plan for you guys for the tournament this year? Yeah, so we're running back, uh, as you alluded to, getting around some, uh, making sure we don't get cease and desisted. Uh, third month mania this year, and so we're starting it on March second, um, so Thursday. Um, running it for about two weeks, special deals, you know, whether it's sales on specific basketball items, new product drops. So we're actually debuting a couple more bomber jackets. Um, one of which is a big 12 school, um, that will be dropped here. Um, there's lavender in the mix. That's all I'll say for that big 12 school. (laughs) Um, and you know we have a couple other products so if you saw a few weeks ago we dropped an indiana hat there are more hats on the way so you know unique product drops sales um, and then it culminates on selection sunday with a subscription um that we're doing this year so our mystery boxes have been very popular to your point a lot of people like to buy products for schools they didn't go to a lot of people also like to be surprised because i think they're overwhelmed by the 2000 products or whatever on our website and so we we we, from time to time we offer mystery box subscriptions or mystery boxes where people buy something at a reduced price you get what you get even if it's your rival sorry um but you know we are doing one for the tournament where it's a subscription and we'll send you a shirt for each round of the tournament and that team is the one you're supposed to cheer for uh for that round of the tournament so you uh, buy the you buy a subscription. We'll send you a package for the round of 64 and 32 because that's obviously over the weekend. Uh, there's no weekend deliveries. And so you might get a Gonzaga shirt to cheer for Gonzaga in the men's tournament. And you might get USC shirt or South Carolina shirt to cheer for the South Carolina women's team in the tournament, right? Uh, so, something like that. I mean, we have over 95 schools identified to be able to send out, be sent out in this subscription um, box. So that's something new that we're trying this March um, to give people rooting interest in the tournament or be able to wear a really relevant shirt when you go to a March Madness watch party or something like that. Okay. So how much are the subscriptions going to be? Uh, subscription, they're going to be same as they are uh, for the big new Saturday subscription. So it's 20 bucks per shirt. Uh, normally it's 34 bucks a shirt. Um, and so you'll, you'll be charged three times because it's two shirts per weekend, right? Round of 64 and 32 are back to back. So uh, that'd be $45 because of the shipping um, in three increments um, for six shirts. So the sixth shirt is actually uh, because for the national championship, the sixth shirt is an exclusive shirt uh, that we designed. um, That's only available through the subscription. So, yeah. Okay. That's a T between that and a bomber jacket. Very exciting. Look, I collect hats, and you had the Indiana hat. I did not buy it. Uh, just gonna be honest. Uh-huh. Uh, but if you start latching Big Twelve hats, we're gonna have we're gonna have a problem, sir. Yeah, I'm sure Bye. there's something right now that you can't uh, tell. That, but oh, oh, okay. We will not be using this video on, uh, on YouTube. <laughs> no, you can. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I'm wearing okay. a Midwestern okay. shirt today on the day of an Indiana game. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> But. I, I I had my pistol patty shirt on last night. Uh-huh. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my yep. favorites. Uh, yep. Speaking of that, you mentioned shirts for the women's basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. I've got my pistol patty. Um, you guys, you guys do a good job of ins- of being sure to not just cover. 
apparel for college athletics and school specific. Like you guys do a good job of having women's sports specific apparel. I mean, I, the, the Baylor uh, women's basketball shirt. The, you had the softball championship for Oklahoma last year. As mentioned, there's two pistol patty shirts for Oklahoma State fans that are both incredible. Like, is that just the schools ask for those things, or is there an actual forethought in in making sure you have things to represent women's athletics? Yeah, I mean, look, we we want to represent the school and the entirety of the school, right? And so, so many of these women's athletic programs have been overlooked for so long um, for a variety of reasons. One, just not existing, you know, in a lot of cases until Title IX came around um, and, and gave more opportunities for women to play sports in college. Um, and so, you know, it's been underserved in general and there's been less years of focus on it. And so now I think women's basketball in particular has grown um, in terms of national interest, getting attention on ESPN. Even last Sunday, the game was brutal, but uh, my Indiana Hoosiers went to Iowa City and played a thriller. Um, it was primetime ESPN. College game day was there. Um, and Caitlin Clark unfortunately hit a ridiculous buzzer beater um, after we went up two with one second to go. Um, but, you know, it, it, into that regard, you know, not only is it something that we feel like it's been ignored by most people and still a lot of brands, um, astonishingly. Um, but it's also just great business uh, because it's an, an untapped uh, market. I mean, we we made a shirt for Indiana's basketball team, which it, they're having historic season. They're going to be a one seed. Uh, they've lost only twice this year. Literally might win the national championship. Made a Big Ten um, champs shirt the other day. It's been our best-selling shirt um, this year outside of um, the Georgia National Championship in football. And, you know, look, we're Indiana Hoosiers brand, but still um, to that end, you know, it's a really underserved market. Um, and we care about women's sports. So we will watch women's sports at home field a lot. <laughs> um, and so we want to celebrate that part of the school. We talk about being thoughtful, you know, how could you, how could we have ever done a Northwestern collection without talking about their women's lacrosse program, which is just a wagon. Right. Um so yeah, it's it's an initiative by us that we first and foremost care about and are looking to continually expand, you know, how many uh women's sports teams we make apparel for. And then also, you know, it sells. <laughs> and at the end of the day, you know, running a t-shirt business, you gotta you gotta make what sells. Uh if I can suggest a pistol patty softball shirt for the cowgirls, uh, <clears throat> I will I will do so. Um <laughs> just reach out to Oklahoma State. Uh you know, I have seen, you mentioned Robin Lopez. I We've seen celebrities and athletes wear Homefield apparel. Every time Homefield shows up on somebody covering college sports nationally, it, it, they get tagged. I am curious, who are the coaches you have seen or interact with the most that are just like super pro Homefield? Jerome Tang is great. Uh, another bone here for the... Uh the K-State fans that listen to this Big 12 podcast. Uh, Jerome Tang has an active interest in home field and we'll send him stuff a good bit, but it's not like his assistant that we're DMing with. Cause that's it. Most of the time you're like DMing with someone who works for the program. It is Jerome Tang in the DM saying he like, Hey, love that or this or whatever and sending stuff to him. Um, and he uh, specifically requests lavender. So no K-State fans that your coach uh, is right in, in tune uh, with with the fan base. Um, I was trying to think who else. Uh, 
you know, certain coaching staffs will get really into it. So uh, ECU has gotten really into it because Mike Houston, we sent Mike Houston a hoodie, uh, the head coach at ECU. Um, and yeah. then all the coaching staff was super jealous. And so then they, <laughs> they made it like they put money in their budget to buy like 80 hoodies for the team. <laughs> For their bowl game. Um, so, yeah, the, he, TC, ECU's been fun. Um, we do have a shirt coming out with a coach here soon in collegiate sports. I'll leave that one a little bit to the imagination uh, as to who that coach may be. Um, really excited about it. But, yeah, I mean, we always – I mean, we love working um, with those coaching staffs. Eric Musselman's great. He wears our shirts all the time, you know. Yes, he um, does. He's just – yeah, the co- it's really fun. Don Staley, actually. Oh, my gosh. How could I forget? The legend Don Staley wears our stuff all the time. Um, so, yeah, it's just some coaches just, you know, some just want to wear the side. One, they have to wear the sideline stuff on the sideline. Um, but outside of that, you know, some coaches just want to wear the more basic uh, primary logo quarter zip. And that's cool. But the ones who, who want to try something a little different, um, they're always fun to work with and we'll we'll always send them stuff um, because we love seeing them in public. You know, when Don Staley's like on a documentary wearing one of our South Carolina shirts, that's always really cool. So. No, that's super awesome. That, that's super neat to see. I mean, you guys are everywhere. I, I We started this partnership back in 2020, if I mm-hmm. recall correctly. I mean, and you guys had just Baylor and Iowa State. And I mean, I'd seen enough people talking about it. And this was such a cool opportunity for us and, and, love what you guys do and to watch you grow and watch what you have become like there's not a bigger like college sports apparel brand that seems to care as much as you guys do like obviously there's you know i don't i don't mean to downgrade any stuff fanatics has things like that's that's all well and good but i don't think anyone seems to put like the thought and heart into college athletics because they love it so much Mm -hmm. into the apparel that they design like you guys Obviously, you don't have someone on staff who is a diehard fan of every program, but from what you guys put out, it sure as hell feels that way sometimes. No, I appreciate that. And look, I could, I can take that compliment because I have absolutely nothing to do with the design uh, piece of it. <laughs> um, but you know, our team of designers, um, we invest a lot in designers in terms of, you know, the hiring a lot of them um, because to be thoughtful you can't be fast and thoughtful. You can try as much as you can and they are, they're really productive as a team, but um, they do a ton of research every Monday morning, whatever schools they're designing. Krista, my co-founder, uh, my, also my wife, <laughs> she's our creative director. So she oversees all the design. And so um, sh- every Monday morning for three hours, whatever schools they're designing for that week, they have a whole meeting. Everybody has to bring a ton of research, like every designer, for the however many schools they're working on that week um and everybody talks through the concepts and you know where it's rooted in and all of that like it's a lot of pre-work before they even um begin the design phase of it like actually mocking it up so they i mean there are we do have some college uh sports nerds on the staff for sure no doubt like <laughs> we have we have some people who are just obsessed and it's fun because it's different parts of college sports two or different eras um so, yeah. And then we have some people like some really high up other people, people at our company who do not know when games are going on. And that's perfect because they keep us grounded and balanced and they can help us uh, improve our operations. Right. But when it comes to the design, yeah, they're they're really locked and loaded. Um, 
you know, and, and so we take a lot of pride in that. Um, you know, you mentioned other brands. I would do want to shout out our, our friends. Uh, we're like, we're technically competitors, but not, but the 199 guys do such a great job of that too. If I'm going to give an unsolicited comment, uh, or a compliment, um, they make college basketball shorts. And so, um, like replica shorts of whatever year. And they, they really love college basketball as well. So it's a fun environment. I mean, I literally live mile down the road from their CEO. And so we'll, we'll kick beers every once in a while and swap stories and, and all that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, very few brands, um, care about, you know, all of those details and making sure we get it right. Cause look, if you come out, like there's obviously, I feel like every year on Twitter, there's some photo someone takes at a bookstore and it says something like Arizona state wildcats. And you're just like, how does that happen? Right. Like a t-shirt at some bookstore. And I know how it happens. Cause I know it's not someone doing it on purpose. There's like a whole, you know, they're, they're printing the same shirt for 150 schools, just swapping out the colors, which is the antithesis of what we do. And they're, you know, the school name, slider and the school nickname slider just got stuck right and somebody's printed a ton of this um but regardless though like that's the exact opposite of what we aim to be right like it it's annoying to have it wrong or annoying for it not to feel thoughtful um and if you're sitting there listening to this podcast and thinking home field i don't like the designs for my school it's probably because we're not allowed to go to a certain uh uh edge of thoughtfulness that we want to and have to stick within parameters but uh remember it's never our fault um so no all that to say i, I appreciate um the focus there on the thoughtfulness because yeah the team they're incredible um and just really honored to get to work with them every day well i'm looking forward to what's coming out this month of march looking at looking forward to the lemon runs for the rest of the year and see what other big 12 schools uh current and future pop up we got a long time before the end of 2023, so I'm, I'm very excited. Connor, as always, appreciate your time, man. Appreciate you guys being sponsors here on the podcast and for the network. Uh, we love what you do, and, and I think we share that passion that you have as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, love what you guys do. Love um, the focus on, on all schools and not just, um, you know, the front-running ones, but ones that everybody cares about. So, yeah, really appreciate it, Philip. Thanks, man. Hey, someone's got to like UCF men's basketball. It, it has That's to right. Sorry. That's the low hanging fruit. Okay. Uh, Connor, man, <laughs> I promise we won't wait two more years. We'll get you on again soon, bud. Sounds great. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Hey there, folks. This is Justin Hiles of the Viva La Cats podcast, which is now proudly presented by the Big 12's premier podcasting group, the 1012 Network. My co-host Steve and I cover all the ins and outs of Cincinnati football and basketball, for better or for worse. We release a new episode every single week, sometimes with guests, sometimes it's just the two of us kicking back talking Bearcats. So, if you like raw emotion and heavy recency bias, we are definitely victims of that. It clouds our conscience, and it should cloud yours too. We also have an every once in a while Twitter Spaces post-game review on our page at Pod on Twitter, where we invite all of our friends and enemies to discuss everything that we just witnessed minutes prior. If you like your podcast with a laid-back environment, way too serious about stupid ideas, the deepest of stat pools, or just straight-up white noise, then you've come to your one-stop shop for everything Bearcats. Viva the Cats. The Big 12 baseball season is underway. We are a couple of weeks into the season, and the standings are not, I think, what we expected. So we need to do something of a deep dive into where things are now and where we think things might be going a very excited 
to have him back on the show as we do every year to talk Big 12 baseball. He is Randy Heights. Randy, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, college baseball, you got to love it, right? Uh, yeah, it's a ton of fun. Look, I, I, look, I'm not the most diehard baseball fan. I will admit it, and I watch as much as I can. I love college baseball because I think it's postseason, and both the regional supers and men's college world series, as well as uh, softball, is kind of on par with March Madness. Not to the level, just because of the single elimination of March Madness and how much fun we can have. But like, I think it's pretty close to it. So I, the the postseason for college baseball and college softball is absolutely incredible and very very underrated uh, i think a lot of times and i know i get single elimination i i'm biased because i love college baseball i think it's so much better i i went on the air before the season started with the guys here and i said on opening day i said that, that that's kind of like christmas eve and then when postseason rolls around that's like christmas morning because you get three solid to four solid days of just fun baseball knocking each other around knocking each other out it's hard to be, especially with what ESPN does with the coverage. So I, I think as far as both sports, that's been the biggest difference with the growth of the sport. As much as people want to rip ESPN plus here and there because of quality of broadcast, the sports of softball and baseball should almost be praising ESPN because it's given them better coverage than they've ever had before. You know, heading into the season, Oklahoma State, TCU, uh, Texas, these are the teams you kind of saw preseason ranks. Texas TCU was picked number one in the preseason Big 12 poll. Those are not the teams sitting atop the conference stands at the moment. At 9-0, currently undefeated, are the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Now, this is a program that has been a perennial postseason team. And if you look at the schedule of who they face, it's not a collection of world beaters, but four games against a good Gonzaga team, four games against a, a solid Western Illinois, and you've, you've got a game against Air Force. You have another one uh, tonight as we are recording this on the first that will be tonight. And you've got uh, some interesting games in Houston this coming weekend. I mean, is this a matter of the opponent's face thus far, or have we kind of underestimated this Texas Tech team heading into the season? Both. I, I kind of look at the early season college baseball season a lot like this, and it's not taken away from anyone or giving too much credit to anyone. When you look at teams like TCU, Texas, Oklahoma State, Tech, Oklahoma, all these teams, whether whether they're undefeated like Tech is or coming off a three you know losing weekend like TCU did last week against Florida State, these early season games, it's like I've been talking to people, talking everyone off a ledge. They're important. Don't get me wrong. They they matter when it comes to the end of the year for postseason play. But at the same time, when you have 30 days of practice before the season starts and you've got some teams like Tech, Texas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, those, those four in general, TCU had a lot to replace, but maybe not as much. When you have those four teams that had as much to replace as they did, a lot of these early season games, maybe coaches aren't making moves with the bullpen because – I really need to see what this guy is going to do in this situation when we get into week three of conference play. Or I'm going to leave that starting lineup going for the next four days because I need to see if this starting lineup is really my best starting lineup going against competition that isn't his buddy or his roommate, you know. So that's where I kind of look at some of this. I think the talent level of balance out, I am one that I said all along, I thought Tech could easily move up into that top two to three spot 
easily in the conference this year because Tim Tadlock, I look at coaches, and Tim Tadlock, he may be the most underrated, but yet get the most – get proper credit. It's kind of a mixed bag with him. Coach in the Big 12 Conference. This guy, with what he's done at that program since he's been there, it is phenomenal. I mean, we talk about Texas. We talk about TCU. We talk about Oklahoma State being those traditional teams in the Big 12. To me, with what Tadlock's done, he's the blue ribbon standard right now in the Big 12 Conference for what you're able to build and what you're able to do, especially I know I know your podcast on the 1012 for Lubbock won't like me saying this, but if you can get talent to go out to West Texas and play, you're an impressive coach because that is not a desired place to go live. High praise uh, wrapped in uh, an insult uh, wrapped in uh, high praise. That's, that's good stuff. Look, I, look, there's no argument that the Tadlock's one of the best coaches in the Big 12 year in and year out since he arrived there. Uh, and they do have limitations, and that's not even so much about location, that that ballpark is, and the facilities are not up to par with some of the others in the Big 12. And so he does a great job despite all of those things. Texas, I would say, of the teams we get expectations for heading into the season, the most disappointing start to the year, sitting at 3-5 and five so far. They started off 0-3, uh, that uh, college baseball showdown there at Arlington, Close loss to Arkansas, close loss to Missouri, got whomped by Vanderbilt, uh, and then they've lost their last two, one against Indiana, and then a midweek game against LSU. I mean, look, Texas has certainly challenged themselves thus far. You can say they only have one true kind of, I guess, bye game, if you want to call it, a midweek against Texas A&M Corpus Christi. I, I'm, I'm not super worried about Texas based off of the early season struggles, given who they've had to play so far. What are your thoughts on Texas eight games into the season. I, I'm not concerned. It's just like I'm not concerned about Oklahoma State, two games over 500. Oklahoma right now at 500. I mean, again, these were teams that have a lot of talent, young talent, whether it's freshmen or junior college guys or transfers coming in to be mixed in. You know, it's kind of one of those things. It's a learning curve. The staff's learning these guys a little more. The players are learning what D1 Power 5 baseball is like. And you mentioned Texas. I mean, last night, they were in a dogfight with LSU, who I think LSU should be an odds-on favorite to go to the College World Series, and they are an odds-on favorite. They battled with them until the end last night. So, I mean, it, it's kind of like one of those deals where I wouldn't hit a panic button if you're Texas. The thing I think you look at with Texas, though, are some of those same issues outside of last year that have been there for a couple of years with Pierce still there. Yeah, the offense isn't maybe the greatest. Last year was almost the exception to the rule in David Pierce's tenure as Texas head coach, the offense. And that's kind of been a little bit of the struggle of Texas here early on. Let's see if they can get it going. But I had them pick fourth coming into the year. I, I don't see another team in the Big 12 that's going to jump them or move into that top five. I think the top five are still pretty separated with one team on the outside of that top five looking in. And it's one you got to keep an eye on. And it's funny. I think I saw you tweet about it on the weekend. It's West Virginia. Yeah. The, <clears throat> uh, there's two teams that have kind of, you know, obviously the Texas Tech 9 star is something to keep an eye on, but there's two teams that I feel like the start for them so far has impressed me. Uh, West Virginia, yes, I understand that their record is only four and three. Lose two of three at Georgia Southern to open the season, a couple of close games. But to go on the road to Arizona and win, take that series two to one, uh, win a game at Maryland. I, I, this was a West Virginia team that I was a little bit disappointed in last season. 
and and so far again i understand the four and three record but i am intrigued by this west virginia team that's that going to arizona and winning two games winning one of them five one is impressive and they they've not taken it easy on themselves they've got three games against minnesota later coming on or coming up they've got two games at app state they've got three games against xavier like it's a good non-conference who's the bigger surprise to you between west virginia and the other team I've been shocked by, and that would be Kansas, who's currently 5-2. and two. And again, I know they haven't played a lot of teams that really would shock you. You know, three games against Valparaiso, four games against Oakland. But all those games are on the road. They haven't played a home game yet. Their home first home game is not until March 8th. Of the two teams, West Virginia and Kansas, who's the bigger surprise to you? And maybe who's the one you actually believe has staying power? I think they fall on both teams, and that's West Virginia. You mentioned, yeah, they lose to Georgia Southern, but I think it's easy for the non-baseball fan, not like you, but, you know, people that may just follow postseason baseball only, to not realize Georgia Southern was a regional host last year. Georgia Southern is a really good program. You drop three. You're going in. Where Let's go back to I mentioned practice time. Odds are, I, just being a betting man, not living in either state, right, out of that 30-day period, that they got to practice, Georgia Southern was probably outside pretty much every day practicing inner squads and everything like that. I'm going to bet West Virginia would have been lucky to be outside 50% of those days. So that opening series loss doesn't shock me. The reason I feel like West Virginia has the most staying power and has been the biggest surprise was because what they bounced back and did against Arizona. Arizona, you know, really a good, solid program. And back to this, we know 100% they were outside every day. They had missed a day of practicing outside. And West Virginia went into their house and beat a team that knocked off Tennessee in opening week, you know, had some good wins. They're a decent team. West Virginia was not intimidated. And the key is they didn't just take Friday and then come back and win on Sunday. They took Friday, Saturday. And if you're a team coming from up north and you can go to a southern school and you can win Friday, Saturday in the early season, you should feel really good about yourself and where you stand right now. Speak on that a little bit. Um, explain the Friday-Saturday win being so impressive in a three-game series. Well, that's simply because, okay, most teams you would look at it and go, all right, the Southern teams probably are recruiting higher talent as far as that are going to go to the next level. And so on Friday-Saturday, it's just like Major League when they go to the postseason. Friday's your best starter you have. Saturday's your second best starter. And sometimes a lot of teams may not even have a third starter, especially at this stage of the season. So the reason I say it's most important and most impressive for them is West Virginia went knocked off. Granted, I think they went to extra innings on Friday, but they won that game with the ace from Arizona on the mound. They went and they beat their number two guy. They didn't beat their ace and then get blown out by their number two guy and then found a way to piecemeal a game on Sunday to win a series. If you can go win those first two games in a series, you're really good, especially from the North. That's why Maryland, you look at what they did or what they've done. You talk about West Virginia beating them. That's kind of how they built the program. Let's go win Friday and Saturday, and that's what they did the first couple of years. If they can go on the road and win Friday and Saturday, those are just bigger boosts of confidence, and, and that catches everyone around the country's attention to go, that team's legit. It can go up against anyone. Got it. No, that's that's good to know. Uh, West Virginia, another team that has not played a game at home yet, will not do so until March 8th. Uh, they've got three games in the state of Virginia this coming weekend against William Mary, 
VCU enrichment. Uh, Randy, you know, look, if you're, if you're paying attention to highlights and you're watching baseball, you want to see the offense, you want to see the hits. Um, who are the hitters that we should be tuning into and keeping track of and looking out for in the Big 12 this year? You know, I, I think there's several guys, and I'm not going to go individual hitters, but the one one individual I go that I'm most impressed with with his improvement, and maybe I'm in Oklahoma, so I've been able to watch some of these guys closer. That's Nolan McLean at Oklahoma State. I think he's impressive to watch. He's fun to watch because when he makes contact, that ball goes, and it goes a long way. And why I say I think he's fun to watch this year, if you watch these early games, one thing Nolan McLean's been known for throughout his career is striking out. And he's cut down those strikeouts a lot with keeping that power there. He's kind of that guy I want to watch all year long because last year in the draft, what was he, a 13th round pick, I think, or something like that. He came back to OSU because he was he was drafted as a pitcher. I think if he can cut down that strikeout number, keeping that power and improve that and improve that average, all of a sudden he's still going to be drafted as a pitcher because when you throw as hard as he does, you know. Guys, that perks the scout's interest. But he's increasing his value because now all of a sudden I think he becomes that legitimate candidate now that he's playing outfield as well for teams to go, you know what, I'm going to take a flyer on this kid because if he doesn't work at this spot, he's going to work at the other. That That is one of the most impressive hitters I've seen in the Big 12 in a long time as far as power and just fun to watch. I do I do like um, – you know what, the name is escaping me. The other kid, the TCU third baseman, He's so impressive right now. He's going to be one of the top picks in the major league drafts this year. I think that's a kid to keep an eye on. TCU, he's one of the main reasons he's been a favorite. I mean, you look at them, and that kid has been very impressive for the couple of years he's been at TCU. I like Trey Richardson for other reasons. I think he's just a great all-around player from TCU. And he's, of course, the transfer from Baylor. Those are kind of some of the main guys I really like watching this year out of the Big 12 as far as just individuals. And other than that, I think there's a lot of good players throughout the Big 12. Third baseman from TCU, Braden Taylor. Yeah, not think. It's just one of those moments. But Braden Taylor, he's a preseason All-American. He's a guy I, I think you keep an eye on for high draft stock this year, too. Randy, always appreciate your insight when it comes to Big 12 baseball. Uh, we will get you on more this year than we have in the past because we need to talk stickball on a regular basis. Do me a favor. Where can everybody check out all the work you do covering college sports? All right. You can check me out on 1077 The Franchise. I usually do appearances throughout the week, but always on Friday around 1130 doing a weekend preview to the Oklahoma and Oklahoma State Series, and I try to force the guys to talk the rest of the Big 12. I usually take over the segment, so I do that a little. And then we've started a bit on the franchise. We started a network where we have a new podcast called Bullpen Brothers, myself, and a young man named Reeves Mitchell is doing it. And we focus on Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, usually having a player. We're starting that this week from both schools or a coach to give us their thoughts and opinions on the team. So th- those are the two main spots. You can find me on Twitter at RJHeights1077, as long as I don't get hacked again. That should still be my account. So th- those are the main spots. And trust me, I do a lot of college baseball talk on there. I'm an OU grad. A lot of people always think I'm a homer, and don't get me wrong, I root for my school. 
But it's kind of funny. I got attacked when I just mentioned that OSU moved to 500 the other day. And the guy's like, well, now what's our user record? I'm like, well, if you follow along, I tweet about how they're sluggish. You know, it's kind of like, it's like people back on. I, I give the facts. That's all I do. Uh, Bedlam, always fun. Randy, appreciate it. As always, we'll talk to you again soon, bud. No problem. Talk to you later. Podcast Network.